when pastor tells you not to be anxious, that peace is something that God promises to each one of us as he talks about Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote to a Roman church, not a Jewish one, Roman church, people like us that were struggling with the same things that we're struggling with even today. And he prescribed a way for us to deal with the world. Don't be anxious, he says. But then he said also with thanksgiving. And I thought about thanksgiving, how we celebrate that maybe once a year, and how many times we're thankful for things that we really all really appreciate. So I thought that would be kind of just a, well, just an overplay. So I wanted to talk about the things that maybe I take for granted, that I've taken for granted in my life. And there are three of them. And I'd like to share those with you this morning. In Psalms, David writes, For I praise thee, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life. You know, right now, your heart today is beating 100,000 times today. That's over 3 million times a year. 2.5 billion times over your average lifetime. Your heart beating. Sometimes it's easy to take for granted that we're a little bit tired. That might be because the blood in your body is flowing through your body 12,000 miles today. That's four times across this country from California to Maine. And you're not even thinking about it. Genesis says, Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him the breath of life. Man became a living being. And then in Genesis 1.31, it says, and that was very good. All five days before that, God said when he created things, it was good. But that day, the sixth day, God said, it's very good. I remember doing a retreat for a high school. It was a public high school, and I had to be really careful as a minister when I didn't want to step on anybody's toes and upset them. But I remember at the end, I, I told the crowd of kids, I'm a preacher, and there's no way I can do a sermon or, or do a motivational talk like this and not tell you something about God. And I remember I picked out this one particular girl, and she would have been all by herself, and you could just tell she was really struggling with her self-image. And so I went up to her, and I remember just saying to her, you ever gone up to the Rocky Mountains or gone out there in the fall and seen those big, beautiful leaves, the gold and the red and the yellows? God created that, and you know what he said? That's good. There are billions and billions and billions of stars in the sky. You ever looked at them all? The light from that star took 40-plus years just to get here. That's how far it's far, it's far away. God made that, and he said, that's good. 
But then one day, the Bible says, God forms you from the dust of this earth. That's actually like an artist who is sculpturing something with his hands. He forms you. And then he breathed into you the breath of life. He didn't say that was good. He said that was very good. You're God's masterpiece. You're living in a world that sometimes tells you you have to be somebody else or look something way else. The real truth is God created you as a masterpiece. She had tears in her eyes. I can remember, don't you ever let anybody tell you you're a piece of junk because of the way you look or the size of your body. I took for granted my body. I remember it was in February 2017. I got up to go to work that morning and I started to shave and I thought, man, that's kind of weird. I can't really control my, my razor blade very well. Didn't think anything about it, got in the car, drove down the freeway. And I kept getting up close to the guy behind and in front of me and then backing off. And I was thinking, that's weird. I can't hardly control my car. That day at the downtown mission, I had the devotions and there's 50, 60 guys in there and I was sharing and I started slurring my words. And when I was done, I went back to my office and one of the guys came up to me, one of the co-workers, and he said, Dan, I don't think you're doing well. I think we better take you to the hospital. So we got in the car and we drove to the VA. And when I get in there, all of a sudden I, in the emergency room, I have a stroke. And all of a sudden, my body didn't do what I wanted to do. I told my right hand, the right hand that shot baskets in college, to move, and it didn't move. I told my legs to move, and they didn't move. I started to speak, and I couldn't speak without drooling or slurring my words. I thought I was running the show, folks. I thought I was telling myself all that I was in control, but I'm just renting this body. And I take it for granted. I take those 100,000 heartbeats that I have every day. And God says, are you thankful? Are you thankful that I created you with the breath of life? Another thing I learned to take for granted is my world. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not talking about the world outside of Sheridan, Wyoming. You don't know how many times I hear this, especially from young people. I can't wait to get away. It's boring. There's nothing to do here. Did you ever think that maybe God planned on you being here right now today? That you're not an accident. That he has a purpose in mind for you to be right here, right now. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. That means chose for a purpose, and I appointed you. God chose you for right now. I remember that little old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what you're going to do in the future. You have a now, people. And God says, take and thank God for it. Thank for the people that are in your world, your neighbors, 
That's not an accident they live next door to you or their boss or some of your friends. And sometimes we forget to thank God for right now and not worry about tomorrow and a bigger house and a better place to live. Being thankful for what we have right here and right now. I remember when I was pastoring at Douglas. The little teeny church had split so many times and nobody had pastored there more than two and a half years. I come in, I'm fresh out of college and I'm pretty much dumb. And I didn't know what else to do, so I preached Jesus. And the church gradually, gradually grew to maybe 30 people or so. And then one Wednesday, I was sitting in my office and I read a cartoon. And God said, that's everything you need to know right there. So on Sunday morning, I turned to the people and I said, whatever you do, please try to come to church tonight. You won't regret it. And when they did, and it was, everybody was pretty much there, I said, I read this cartoon, it says everything. And they were all, Colleen had, had shortened the song service for me. And so I said, this is that cartoon. And it showed this guy leaving a church on Sunday morning. And as he's shaking the pastor's hand, he says this, some Sunday, if it's not impossible, could you tell us what, if anything, we're doing right and I thought of how many times I come to church over the years in my life and I never feel like I'm leaving feeling like I've done something right but I've done a ton of things wrong I didn't pray enough I didn't sing loud enough I didn't worship good enough and every week after leaving the service I find myself comparing myself to others and coming up short again and again and again and so that night I told those people I said, then I'd written a list out of everyone in the church. And I said, so tonight I'm going to tell you simply what you've done right. It changed the attitude of that congregation, folks. And they began to grow because they began to love being with one another. They didn't take each other for granted. They began to appreciate what they had right there. Sort of like the guy who was in a wagon. And he saw an old farmer sitting on a field and the wagon was loaded down with his family and all its good and he turned to the farmer and he said what are the people like here and he said well what are the people like where you came from he said they're grouchy mean backstabbers he said well you'll find that's how they are here too and the guy went on the black wagon and then another guy coming along with another wagon loaded down with his family and goods and he said what are the people like here and the farmer said well they're great I mean the man said well they were great they're wonderful they're most loving I hated to leave and lost all those friendships the farmer turned and said well you're going to find the same kind of people here you find the kind of people that you look for folks be thankful for Sheridan Wyoming I've lived here almost two years and I've grown to love it and I've learned to love you I've learned to love you as friends and appreciate you. I can take that for granted so easily today if I'm not careful. You know, I read of Moses. The people were backstabbing him. They were complaining all the time. They said really bad things about him. 
And then they messed up and they built a golden calf. And you would think that not, and you know Moses was mad, but God was madder. In fact, he even said, I repented for calling all these people. And he turns to Moses and he tells Moses he's going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to build a new legacy, the one that I gave to Abraham. I'm going to give it to you, Moses. And listen to what Moses said. But God, now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot my name out of your book. The very people that were backstabbing Moses, he was standing there and saying, God, if you're going to blot their name out of your book, blot mine out. How do you feel about Sheridan? I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about the people here. Are you willing to go to God and say, God, save them? If you can't save me, or you can't save them, don't save me. He actually wept over people that were imperfect because he loved them anyway. And sometimes I think God wants us to love the people around us, even our neighbors that are struggling, grouchy, mean, because maybe we're the only ones that can get through the love of Christ to them. And instead of getting angry with them and going to God and complaining about them, God might want us to thank God for them, for bringing that bad boss, that bad student, that bad neighbor into your life for a reason. I hope I'm making sense, but there's a third thing that we take for granted, I take for granted. It's called my freedom. We just sang about that. To be set free. I serve a God who says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free, really free. What are you free from? You ever asked? There was a man in the Bible named Joseph. You know his story. He had a coat of many colors. His brother sold him into slavery. He was dragged behind a cart all the way to Egypt. He was lied about Potiphar's wife, cast into prison. And then God, miraculously, after years, almost 15 years of struggle, God raises him up, doesn't he? And he brings him up to Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh say? You're going to be the second highest man in all of the kingdom. And here's my beautiful daughter for your wife. Good things are going on in Joseph's life. He gets married. And they have a child. And I can see Pharaoh's daughter coming to Joseph with that little bundle in her hands. And saying, okay, Joseph, what do you want to name him? You want to name him Fred? Reuben? We can name him Joseph? Joseph too. Be like George Foreman. Have three or four of them in a row. No, did you catch what Joseph said? No, his name is Manasseh. Manasseh. Manasseh? What kind of name is that? It means in Hebrew... He made me forget. What? What? You see, I lost my mom when I was eight. 
My brother sold me. They hated me. They wanted to kill me. I was dragged behind a cart into slavery. I was lied about and thrown into prison. But God, when I look right here at my little son and a beautiful woman who's my wife, God has made me forget my past. He set me free. And I thank him for that. A year later, she comes back with another one. Little baby boy. Okay, Joseph, what are you going to name him? His name is Ephraim. What does that mean? He made me fruitful in my afflictions. What? You don't understand that everything that went on in my life, God made something good out of my past, even out of the bad things that happened. I serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I even can ask or think. I am free from my past. I've forgotten it. And God has used it to minister. How about for us, folks? Are you free? Are you free? Because you serve a God who says that if you come to me, I will set you free from even your past. But there's one last thing I wanted to share about your freedom. Another freedom that sometimes we take for granted. You see... I was 16, and I went into a high school classroom, and I remember I had a teacher pull down a map, and he pointed to a place in Southeast Asia. He says, you see that? There's guys in Vietnam, and you don't even know about it. 18 and 19-year-old kids fighting in a war. You don't even, you're so into your world, you don't even know about theirs. Two years later, I got off a plane, in Vietnam it was real real hot too by the way but I began to understand something tomorrow is Memorial Day and I take that for granted I think I had much before my life I always thought it was a weekend of the Indianapolis 500 picnics last days of school and I never paused to think about the fact that I have freedom to even sit here to this morning, to worship God, to pray in this building, to have the friends and the families that I have. I take it all for granted. And I didn't take time to say, thank you, God, for those men and women who paid so much. This isn't Veterans Day. This is Memorial Day, folks. Thank you. So I'm going to take just a moment, and I want you to pause and reflect. So I'm going to show you some things. This is the punch bowl in Hawaii. These are all, all U.S. servicemen between 20 and 30 years old who died for you. These are cemeteries I want you to see. Every one of them representing an American soldier who died places like France and Italy for us. As you look at these pictures, 25, 30-year-old men, 19-year-old kids, 18-year-olds that gave everything they had 
for us to be here today. That's what this holiday represents, folks. I will never forget the scene that I saw in the movie Private, Saving Private Ryan. I don't know if you know this story. It's a story about a young man. He's from Iowa. And he has four brothers. General Marshall back in Washington, D.C. receives notice that this family in Iowa has five boys. And four of them have been lost in the early days of Normandy. Four of them. There's only one left. He's Ryan. So the army sends a special group of guys out there to take him from his unit and bring him back safely because General Marshall wants at least one boy from that family to survive the war. Included in the men that are trying to bring Ryan back is a captain, a young captain by the name, I don't remember his name, but he's played by Tom Hanks. And of course, as they go through the battles and all that, at the end of the movie, Hanks is wounded. They're just about to get Ryan safely home when Hanks is mortally wounded. And he's sitting down by the bridge. And he's got, there's nothing they can do for him. And Ryan comes, this young man, 19 years old, and he stands in front of Tom Hanks, who's dying, who wanted to be a teacher back here, who wanted to have a family. And Hanks is looking at him, and he waves him close and whispers to him. And Private Ryan says, what? And he says, earn this. Ryan says, what? Earn this. And he dies. And as Ryan stands there, 19, looking at his fallen friend, the scene begins to change, and he grows old and old and old. And all of a sudden, he comes from being a young man. He becomes an old man, standing there in that cemetery in front of the grave of his friend. And then his wife walks up behind him. And behind her is his family, his children, his grandchildren. And he looks at his wife and he looks and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. She goes, what? Tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I didn't waste what he did. And that, my friends, is something I have done. I have forgotten to say thank you to a Lord who died for me and gave me the privilege of living and people who have died for me and told them thank you. I don't want to live a life where somebody comes up to me and says thank you for serving. I've had that. That's nice. But I want to be able to turn to them and say, and thank you for living a life worth serving for. Thank you for living a life worth serving for. 